This podcast is brought to you by Big Heads Media. For more great podcasts, go to bigheadsmedia.com. Hello, welcome to episode three of Pints and Politics UK. I'm Johnny. Adam's here. Hello, everyone. We can we can get. Adam's feeling very tired today. He got uber early, and <laughs> very early. I will I will try and remain as enthusiastic as a thirteen hour day can make you. <laughs> exactly, a thirteen hour day. Let that sink in. Very, very, very difficult. Uh, and all our sympathies go with Adam during this hard time. <laughs> that was all very heavy, heavy sarcasm. Before heavy sarcasm. <laughs> heavy sarcasm. Yes, just, just to, anyway. just for clarity. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, on the on the more serious note, not been well. There's been some good points this week. There's been some not so good points this week. We're going to start with a a quite sad story, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so obviously, anyone in the UK that's listening who knows this uh, will be aware of, of a man called Sir Captain Tom Moore. Um, he became famous recently because during the first lockdown in the UK, he did a hundred laps, hundred walking laps around his garden for I the think NHS. It was, to be more accurate, it was yeah. um, he did uh, lengths of his driveway, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it, it, it was certainly within the boundaries of his own house. In the but... name of factual, in the name of factual news. <laughs> yes, in the name of factual news, absolutely. Whatever, regardless of what he did in that respect, you, you are right, I think, actually, Adam, it was his driveway. Yeah. But he was, you know, a remarkable achievement for an old man who was doing this in, in, in aid of the National Health Service, Britain's own health services that, that had been ve- feeling very vulnerable, yeah, yeah. overwhelmed in light of the pandemic. And to be honest, it had felt like that beforehand as well. And we'll get to that uh, a little bit later. He's died, unfortunately. He died of coronavirus. And he also he also had pneumonia at the same time as well. So a combination of the two diseases have unfortunately ended the life of, of this wonderful man. And he was an inspiration, wasn't he, in a tough time, Adam? Yes. So I think a very important point here is... Um... Sir Captain Tom was 100 years old when he was, um, I think he was, was he 99 when he started doing his, the actual walks, the laps? Um, but I know he's, he was 100 when he died. He was a World War II veteran. He was very passionate about helping others and he was a very community oriented, spirited man. And this was, um, he was a, it was, it was very much an inspiration, especially as he used his uh, Zimmer frame to support him throughout yeah. all these walks. And we may think, oh, walking, I, I should imagine, I, I can't, I don't know the exact figures, but I should think it was about 20, 30 metres in each direction. Mm. It doesn't sound like a lot to walk 100 times. Mm. But um, for a man of 100 years old, that was more than an achievement. And in the process, am I correct in saying it was... Mm. 
around 39 million that he raised. I know yeah, there's he... been figures of 33, 36, but I actually think the official figure was 39, if I remember correctly. He did. He raised a hell of a lot of money. And what, what's worth noting as well um, is, the, is, is that he only intended to raise a thousand pounds when he did, he did this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yes, BBC. Uh, are quoting almost 33 million pounds 33 million there you go so Which that's what incredible. the bbc quotes yeah yeah and you know and this is been received with um and we were just talking about this uh, very mixed reviews a lot mm. of you thinking fair play to the man mm. at 100 years old he raises 33 million to support the national health service mm-hmm. and that is a remarkable achievement yes. and nobody is ever gonna say anything negative about that within those actions those actions themselves there's nothing negative there that's an incredible thing everyone who's been saved by that funding will be utmost grateful and would thank the survival of coronavirus to um, captain sir tom moore mm. um however mm. there has been narratives pointed out by this which our own government seem to have uh, utilized his achievements Mm. for own well personal gain is the narrative yeah i think yeah, yeah. And, and, and you you were right to mention before we went on air you approach a topic like this with eggshells uh by walking it's, like, over it's very much thin ice because what our purpose here is not to say uh, you know we, we are ad- admirers of captain or sir tom um we're not here to say that his actions were done in vain or anything like that. that no. That's not what we're saying at all here. No. You know, we're, we're very grateful for the... No. I feel like raised. what it what it was really is the fact that he had to raise it in the first place. That was the issue yeah, really he should to never, Yeah, he should never have felt the need to do that because it's a the national, national health yeah. service. And the National Health Service is publicly funded, so part of our taxes in Britain go towards the National Health Service. This isn't a luxury that all countries have. It's this is something... why we don't have health insurance like you do yes. in America. Yeah, Americans have health insurance. And Canada have something similar to our National Health Service system, but it's slightly different. Yeah, and yeah. we have, as I say, it's a it's a universally funded healthcare system that's in, in essence designed to, so that no matter what your income, you'll always have healthcare which is which is considered really by many to be a human right a basic human right yes, and i should think it is especially yeah. free healthcare my so the so the issue here is that while we lauded uh sir tom's achievements and quite rightly paid tribute to this wonderful man who who you know at 100 proved that he can still make a difference in society the yeah. fact that he had to do that to that extent the fact that he raised that much money it it does it's unfortunate that more people haven't asked why a hundred year old a one hundred year old man has to go out of his way to help the national health service. Why is it in the state that it's in? And again, while it's appropriate to to hail Sir Tom Moore as a symbol of hope, as a symbol of communal spirits, British communal spirit, spirit, yeah, it shouldn't be used to deflect away from the fact that. The National Health Service has been in decline for some time and that has been unravelled quite quite enormously in the middle of this pandemic where it's literally been on its knees. If you talk to many people within the National Health Service, yeah. they will confirm. I can that. only imagine what some of the 
um, our healthcare and social care professionals have gone through um, yeah. during this time. It's it, it's it's appalling to be honest. Yeah, um, it, it it's not good. And again, there was a small controversy. I don't. It doesn't seem right, but this again has nothing to do with Sir Tom Moore himself. But or his, his actions. His actions no, or his actions. But, yeah. But his family were allowed to see him in the hospital ward just before he died, and that obviously isn't. Uh, it's not normal their fault, it, it, but it's not no. normal practice. That's the not point. Normal practice at all, and that did set some negative feedback, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and some negative narratives. I, I did read before it was. Uh, it's a difficult. One. I don't want to call it negative narrative. I'm going to backtrack no. here. Yeah. Um, because somebody posted on Twitter today, you know, if we if we took a minute silence for every person who's died in the UK, it'd be you know days, months, maybe a few years yeah. before we could all talk to each other again. Mm. And a lot of these people died alone, without family around them, and that's really sad. And I suppose. The, the privilege of Sir Tom's family of having to see him before he died is it wasn't one that, that is normally practiced and it wasn't a luxury by a lot of people. No. What I would say, just to finish on a, on a, on a, lighter, on a lighter note, because again, the man himself is has been and is an inspiration to many, especially those who are growing older who feel like they have nothing to maybe offer. Well, obviously you do. Obviously you can. You know, and he was a war veteran. You know, he yeah. fought for democracy and the ability for us to be here today. Well, that's the so, point, Adam. He yeah. grew up, I think he grew up, uh, he was born just after the First World War. He grew yes. up with the Second World War, obviously fought in the Second World War, survived the Second World War, came through the era of radio and television and then just last year and and in recent times he had an instagram account with a lot of followers he had facebook and he was on all the social media and he again he raised an enormous amount of money for the national health service so i tell you something that is one hell of a life to go from the 1920s all the way through to this time what a lifespan it's almost well it is it several eras of of have been have been lived through there and that's quite incredible so yeah just from myself yeah. i think from both so, of rest in peace yeah. and more and um you know, thank you for, yeah yeah and thank you Absolutely. for all your efforts yeah and your service to the country yeah actually, not just yeah, yeah not when it just was recently under threat by fascism so yeah yeah, yeah, throughout, exactly. yeah throughout his entire life he has been yeah. an absolute well a legend uh, and i yes, think i think, I think that's legend. used in the correct sense yeah. Anyway, on to other news stories now. And again, in slightly more, in slightly lighter, um, more positive and upbeat news, um, it's worth noting that we have now got surpassed 10 million uh, British people who've had their, who had their, who have had their first vaccine. And we talked about this a bit last week. It wasn't quite 10 million last week, but Britain had vaccinated quite a lot of the population at that point. But we were a bit, skeptical as to the figures we were a bit skeptical as to how they'd rolled it out but again you know that there's you talk to scientists they're quietly confident that the approach is still right is still proper they still yes. think that even with the yep. the mutated variants of covid that the virus will st- that the vaccine will still be able to combat many of these variants so 
And what's Given, great at the moment yeah, is that... So Sorry, I was just going to say, to add to what you said, like, um, I know AstraZeneca are extremely confident that their single dose shot of um, the first dosage of that vaccine um, prevents 67% of transmission rate. So I think that's fantastic as well. Yeah. And, and, and it's and it's really good because, as well, I think we should give Matt Hancock praise here because he's been he was one of the people actually who who was determined to get this rollout done as quickly as possible. And even though that's quite a high risk maneuver, if it comes off, he'll have been ahead of the game, and and he'll have put Britain ahead of the game for one of the first times during this whole pandemic. Exactly, and I think just to put it in context, ten million would make just just under one in six people having the vaccine, or at least the first dosage of the vaccine, Yeah, which is an achievement. And I know the latest figures I read on The Guardian mm. was that 900,000 had had a second dosage. Great. Which means that we're not far off a million people mm. who are fully vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is a, yeah, this is, it is good news considering yeah, that it is. the last two episodes, I think it's fair to say, especially yeah. me in particular, have been quite harsh on the Conservative government and has ridiculed them quite rightly in some ways for their lack of action in some places. So it's good to have a bit of bit of good news when it comes to... Uh, yeah, yeah. And my, gran- my grandma's been vaccinated uh, with the first As vaccine. As of mine, yes, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's fantastic. Um, yeah. So again, long may that positivity continue. Uh, yes, and... Then th- and- Oh, it'll be a good six months before we get near the Cuba. Yes, it will actually. Yeah, it will. It's still, I mean, yeah, for the whole country to be vaccinated, I think it said it's we're still looking like towards the end of 2021, which I think we all kind of expected anyway. So yeah, um, I think it's a fair, it's a fair, it was a fair sort of you know expectation, isn't it? You know, the whole I should say the whole nation because of course we are made up of four uh, countries. I was uh, jumping the gun a bit there. Um, we're also uh, we're also on with Adam uh, the. EU, the European Union, they got came in for a bit of controversy this week because they yes. were getting a bit yeah. angry with almost. Well, I think I think with Brexit, there's been we, it's often been Britain that's been accused of being childish, and quite rightly so, because you know even from from our standpoint as British people, we look at it and think, you know, the, the British government seems to be run by has seemed to be seemingly been run by children at times. Boris Johnson does give his best impression of an angry child <laughs> from time to time. However, yes. in this instance, it was quite the other way around, I think. And the European Union were seemingly, from what I understand, and uh, a, a good article from the Financial Times actually was uh, explained it, explains it quite well. It seems that they were a little bit embarrassed by how well Britain were doing with the rollout. And obviously in the agreements in December, they agreed to have uh, no hard border between Ireland. It was, it, there was going to be seamless trade. Or, or, or very little red tape with, with, um, with the tra- with the transaction of goods, particularly the vaccines, uh, going from yes. Europe into Britain. And recently, uh, the European Union backtracked on the idea they wanted to impose uh, a harder border between uh, the Irish Republic and Northern Ireland, uh, so they could clamp down on vaccine exports from the European Union. In essence, slowing down Britain's um, rollout of the vaccine. Yeah. 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 That decision was controversial and it didn't take them long, the European Union, to backtrack from that idea altogether because I think they realised it came across a little bit childish and there's no worse time to be childish than in the middle of a pandemic. 
exactly and i think um a major issue is this i i have to be honest i haven't followed too much of what happened here but what i have followed is that it was met with negative feelings on both sides of you know the political sphere both left and right found Mm. yes you know okay understood you know especially somebody who didn't vote brexit like myself Mm. when i read this sort of stuff i do start feeling well come on you accept it we have left now yes you know, we it's almost we, a reminder, isn't it, that even yeah. though there are uh in 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 terms of common sense, facts, stats, and lots of so-called intellectuals, the EU is the is the righteous place to be and whatnot. And and to yes, be honest, I, I am also a Remain voter, so I also believe that as you do as well. But it's a reminder that not everyone within that organization is prim, proper, and 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 sort of and sort of heroic and not everyone who's a brexiteer one imagines is we talked about this before in a previous episode not everyone is a brexiteer is the antichrist not everyone who is in the european union is is the the mother teresa an angel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. whatever side you want to throw those analogies on but yeah yes. that's, that's the truth of the matter absolutely um another story just the uh, last one of the notable news which which I'm a bit mixed on, and we'll probably talk about this in a future episode uh, when it when it comes more into fruition. But Labour leader, uh, opposition leader to the Conservative government, Sakaya Starmer, he wants to build uh, Labour, his his party, around patriotism. And some leaked documents, I think, by the Guardian were suggesting that this movement he believes is the way to make the Labour Party electable again. Now. Mixed with this, Adam, because the Guardian and some other sources who are who are sources, yeah, more sources, yeah. yes, yeah. they aren't too happy with this idea because they think it'll alienate much of the and uh, many of the Labour uh, supporters from years gone by. Yes, However, exactly. at the same time, I do happen to think Brexit Britain is arguably or probably more than half of the electorate, and much of the reasoning behind voting for Brexit was was shrouded in patriotism and the belief that Britain was great and Britain could survive on its own two feet and stand on its own two feet. Now, in the middle of a pandemic, when you've got figures like uh, Sir Captain Tom Moore uh, as, as a symbol of um, as a symbol of how wonderful it is to be British, and I mean that in all, with all sincerity, yes. you've got you've got the the pandemic really giving it really coming down hard on Britain, but Britain standing up and rising against it and eventually, inevitably, getting over the pandemic. I personally yeah. can't see that sense of patriotism dying down. Fair point. However, um, <laughs> I read a... Yeah, it's, it's a very fair point, but at the same time, that sense of patriotism is not really felt among the majority of Labour supporters. Mm. And when I mean majority of Labour supporters, I'm sort of talking about the younger generation of Labour supporters. Yeah, okay, okay. You know, um, by imposing those sort of beliefs, he's he's really going going against a lot of you know the sort of no, but you know the, the, the all the, I the, say, Adam, is yeah. that the 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 newfound Labour voters, and we'll 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 cut this to a, it's not a big topic, so I'll just briefly comment on this. The newfound Labour voters came in the Jeremy Corbyn revolution, didn't it? Of younger voters who were who were yeah. energised. The classic Labour voters really are the working class men of northern towns that go round and the, well, they're the stereotype, in, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, and a lot of those were lost to the Conservatives. Exactly. 
because of that narrative. So yeah. I understand where Starm is coming from from that point of view. Mm-hmm. I must say, um, Mock the Week did a, um, uh, or was it Have I Got News for You? I can't remember. Probably that was. one. I think, Probably was, that one. I think it was Have I Got News for You. Um, what did they say? They say, oh, the uh, here Starm is proposing replacing, uh, you know, building the Labour Party around the, the, the Union Jack, replacing it uh, with the uh, former white flag they've waved at the last four elections. Oh, dear. I mean, it's one of those, though, isn't it, Adam, to be yeah. fair? Uh, you can God. understand why he might be doing it, but if he gets it wrong, he's just going to come across like a oh, sort of gonna... like Alan Partridge, isn't he? I mean, oh, it's... he's going to divide the whole party up. It's going to split in half. Like... It's already divided. I mean, we'll have to yeah, we'll talk good. about this one in more detail. Crack like an egg, honestly. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, um, now it's time, as I say, as usual, with our British culture feature, we've had gammons and, and Brexiteers, we've had... We've had what it, what, pubs such as the Weatherspoons and the locals in, the, in, in episode one. And now a bit more serious because we've already talked about it a little bit. We'll talk about the NHS, National Health Service. NHS, yeah. yes. The Everyone knows office, it yeah, in Britain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, personally, we, we well, I can sort of go in anecdote mode a little bit. As you know, I was very much benefic- a beneficiary of the NHS when at university I had everything go wrong with me. I broke my ankle, had a kidney problem, had a testicular torsion. I had a viral infection on my nose. Um, you really went through it, didn't you? I really did, that? yeah. Yeah, it was but quite bad. Just, just so everyone knows, like, I was there every step of the way. I drank every pint you could not. <laughs> you did, actually, yeah. yeah. There yeah. were some instances. But, um, <laughs> no, in, 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 all, in all fairness... Glad you though, Can you imagine... <laughs> can, thank you. Can you imagine, though, doing that with health insurance or having to pay for Wait, that for that cost? You you were the cost tens of thousands to pay. I would. There is no denying that. Yeah. You, Johnny, as a human, would have been expensive. <laughs> I would have been expensive. I mean, I've never yeah. been accused of being cheap before, but um, that's, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, in I America, would you'd, be, yeah, you'd be well expensive, expensive in America, I mate. Oh, I would, I would. <laughs> um, no, but just, just for a bit of insight into those. So the kidney operation required keyhole surgery. The testicular torsion required uh, keyhole surgery. These are quite extensive um, so, um, moments in the hospital, as I say, these would cost a lot to do in, yes. in, in private in private healthcare, and obviously the broken ankle as well, and, and other things as well. The, the the cost would have been astronomical, and the point is that, as you say, if I was in America, I would be in very big trouble because you know, a lot health, of that mate. healthcare costs are crazy. And what's sad, really, about we in Britain, actually, we talked about this actually last week about Brexit, but the NHS, National Health Service, which provides free health care for everyone through the, ta- well, free through paid taxes uh, of everyone who works. But that is, again, something that I suppose we many people feel an affiliation towards. And, that, and the Brexit campaign yeah. played on that massively when Brexit happened, saying that so much money would go to the NHS. Of course, we all know that's now a lie. It won't. Yes, but I think they quoted what was it, three hundred and sixty-five million? Yeah, three fifty. I think on a bus. Yeah, yeah, and they they were so confident about it, they plastered it across mm. a uh, six-wheeler coach and drove it across the UK, and it yeah. all turned out to be a lie exposed by Nigel Farage on this morning, the day after we voted for Brexit. Well, there you go. I mean, it says a lot. But from your perspective, Adam, a bit different to mine because you've not been there as much as me. But from from your perspective, National Health Service, ha- 
will it ever be what it was supposed to be when it came about again? Or are we just seeing its slow and inevitable decline with privatisation becoming just every, with every passing year that a little bit more prominent within the UK in terms of healthcare? Um, I wish I could sit here and tell you that it's going to be absolutely fine. It's going to go back to being quite the socialist policy it was built to be, you know, free healthcare for all because it's a human right. But, you know, we've got many political figures, historical figures in America, Reagan in this country, it's Margaret Thatcher, to mm. thank for the neoliber neoliberalistic um, capitalization of the United Kingdom. And honestly, when we have a conservative government, especially one led by the main campaigner for the Brexit, for Brexit, mm. yeah, you know, um, I, you know, especially, I don't see it improving because for anyone who's followed British politics over the last, uh, mm. last 12 years, um, over the last, you know, the Conservative mm. government over the last four elections, um, and especially since the 2008 financial crash, mm. our public services, not just the National Health Service, have been under attack and exposed to austerity measures. Now, austerity is a word um, which which is utilised to describe um, the financial cuts done to public services in order to save on spending. Mm. Um, so money. The David from Cameron the national... years, weren't it? That yeah. Was David so the so money from the national budget can be pumped into other spheres. Yeah. However, the backlash of that is it may be fine for a couple of years, mm. but the money pot soon runs out and that mm. is definitely the case with the nhs mm. and it's not being filled up quickly enough no so no will privatization eventually take over i bloody hope not mm. but no, I, agree. I yeah i bloody hope not but can i confidently say that i won't well one thing i read uh not too long ago was that there would always be an nhs but it might be never defeated completely or entirely wiped off the surface of Britain because that's basically self-destructive the, of the government that do that. But it will be there in such a small capacity that people just end up wanting to go private anyway because it's more quick, it's quicker, it's better, and simply it's the it's an it's a much a much more convenient alternative. Of course it is anyway, but uh, and I think it's an important thing to note as well is that yeah. Um, the NHS is not our only health system in this country. No. We do have private health. Yeah. It's private hospitals. And mm. what the saddest thing about that is many of what you would call the conservative, the your traditional upper class, wealthier parts of the nation mm. generally do not utilise the NHS. Well, that means they have their own private health care. Mm. Mm. And therefore, if you have those in government who utilise private healthcare, mm. then they're not going to think twice about cutting spending on a national health service, which then brings in further socioeconomic issues, you know, um, class divide, class gap. I mean, the previous it health brings secretary, in all kinds of issues. The previous health secretary, Jeremy Hunt, who was in charge of the NHS and, and, and healthcare in Britain, had written a book about why private healthcare was um was that was the preferred method of healthcare in his opinion for the uk or i think 
it, someone wrote a book. I think it was Jeremy Hunt. If it wasn't, he advocated the book. So that was that just says everything you need to know really about yes. that. But anyway, on to the debate section, which again ties in really, really well, I think, with the pandemic and with the NHS and with everything, is that should there be more UK spending on mental health? I think the answer is, even though I put it in the debate, it's almost unanimously yes. And yes, very much so, yes. Why is that? Why is that, Adam? Because in the United Kingdom uh, especially, and you know, it's a trend that is seen all over the world, especially in America, is the highest levels of suicide are, are, are men um there's domestic there's extremely high levels of domestic violence against women which is yet to be you know funded properly and you know securely um you know there's a whole new world of social media which mm. is utilized for bullying you know violence you know hate crime where people aren't educated on you know the correct way of utilizing these things mm. so and it all has negative effects on your mental health mm. um you know th this can be seen as a controlling relationship you know that can now that we have more um oh, I can't technology it's not just a person thing anymore. It, it, it's it's through your whole life because you always have your phone on you. The same with somebody who's bullied at school. They can carry on once they get home because they can do it through media. So do we need more, you know, funding for mental health? Of course we do because it, it's encompassing everything, you know, with the movement of technology and general COVIDness, it, it's brought a whole new array of issues that weren't such problematic at the start, but Mental health has always needed to be funded. It's just never been recognised until the last fifteen years. To be honest with you, yeah, true. I mean, you talk you 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 talk really well there, actually, and especially about the the COVID nineteen impact because that's huge, isn't it? So many yeah. lockdowns going on across not just the UK but the world, and mm -hmm. that for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, I didn't. I was fine with it, really. Uh, so I can't really go. I mean, well, obviously, I'd prefer it if we weren't in a lockdown. But yeah, I yeah, understood the situation and it didn't negatively affect me in that way. I had Zoom quizzes. And to be honest, still now I have Zoom calls with friends uh, from. First, we're doing this over Zoom. <laughs> yeah, we're doing this over Zoom. We're doing podcasts and things like that. But generally, no, I wasn't. And I, and you talk about social media being a negative thing, which it is in the in in, in terms of when it's a, with bullying and the the way that it can bring people down. But it's also such an important thing as well, isn't it? Because it keeps, particularly in the pandemic, it kept everyone. Um, well. It kept the spirits up of people who might have felt lonely because you can just simply message now, or you can simply, you can simply zoom or use an alternative or FaceTime someone. I don't know, but without that, imagine if this was in the 1960s or the 1950s or or that earlier in the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but you had landline, didn't you? To be fair, so you could you could kind of get that away one. with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but again, I remember, uh, someone made a, com a good point with the Spanish flu in the 1920s, the early 1920s. I mean, imagine how they would have felt having to stay at home and and amid amid this crisis of of, of, a, of a pandemic in, in Spain. And 
yeah, I think I think that's one thing we can certainly that certainly help has helped us through this pandemic. The the use of social media, as much as it's also a burden when it's used in the wrong way, when it's used in the right way, it's absolutely a good thing. But you're absolutely right with to mention the pandemic as, as a reinforcement of, of that mental health thing, because when we're all at home and we're not doing our jobs, going to work and we're not going to the pub, and we're not doing this. You think a lot more, don't you, I think, about yeah. things. And that's why it's been exacerbated. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to do a positive shout out because we spoke a lot about influencers last week and the yeah. negative effects they're having. And I think I spoke about it then is um, Dr. Alex. Who yeah, you did. You did. Love Island. He's yeah. now been one of the most uh, one no, of the you... more positive things uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson's done in the last week. We retweeted he... this, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, um, he appointed uh, uh, Dr. Alex as the ambassador for mental health, wasn't he? Now, unfortunately for Dr. Alex and his family, he lost his younger, his younger brother to suicide. Oh, did he? And, which is a terrible thing for, for, for anyone who's ever lost anyone yeah. through suicide. It, it's a difficult, it, you know, it, it's a difficult pill to swallow. You, you, you never really understand it. And um, he'd said, talking could have saved my brother's life. Mm. I think that is a massive thing. You know, the British stick up a lip. Yes. You know, well, we never used to talk about feelings in my day. Yeah, toxic, well, toxic masculinity. Masculinity that. is one, but it's just as prolific when it comes uh, when it comes to women or you know whatever, mm. whichever way you identify yeah, yourself. You know, across all sexes and genders, mm. it is the same. A stiff upper lip will never work. It never no. has worked. No. And this is why anyone who says no to more mental health funding mm. has a mental health issue themselves. Yeah. They haven't come to terms with something when it comes to mental health. Yeah. So, yeah. No, you well, you see, the thing is, and I and I was Googling this actually while you were talking in the previous section. I'm glad you weren't distracted, but I think <laughs> that yeah, I think that um we're sharing a screen, by the way. Um <laughs> so yeah, just just for context. Um over Zoom. We're not yeah, over Zoom. Zoom. No, we're not, no, no, no. because uh, that would be that would be illegal. Yeah, that would be illegal. Some lightheartedness there in this quite bleak topic, but yeah. In 2018-19, government spend on on police. You might wonder why I'm talking about police in England in in England and Wales was 13.3 billion. I think I read more recently it, that had, that had actually increased to 18 billion. And right. I saw a few months ago that the government were looking for 50,000 new police officers they were going to recruit 50,000 new police yeah. officers. Now, I think mental health comes under the um comes under the budget for police and protection um, within that sector. And I can't help but think that 50,000 police officers is the wrong way to go about this. It's almost, I believe that when you get on top of mental health problems and if you can really get on top of them at an early age in schools, for example, I think the school system is shoddy. And I think uh, for dealing with issues, I personally am very lucky that I went through school without ever really being bullied or, you know, I was probably the one instigating banter in many instances, but um, I was very lucky. I don't think I was ever a bully, or if I was, I, maybe I said some things that I shouldn't have done. I don't know. But I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, yeah, what I'm all saying is that I wasn't ever on the end, wrong end of, uh, of a bullying frenzy. And it, but people that are, it's really tough, especially in UK schools, in American schools, in any school, really, because society kind of, I feel like at school, it alienates you. Yeah. yeah, if you're different, it's not good. If you're too different, it's not great. You know, it 
shy or not charismatic or you you're, you don't share the same interests that all the other groups do. It can be quite cruel, I think, at school and things. And I can't help but think lots of troubled kids end up leaving school in a more troubled state and then they go on to commit crime. And then by hiring all these police officers, we're reacting to them doing things wrong instead of proactively engaging with these troubled minds. And I don't, this is at any age, by the way. How many crimes in the UK are committed by people who just aren't in the right mindset to be living in society? I don't know. That's just a hypothetical question. My guess uh, would be quite a lot. If I could approach this from a slightly different angle. Right. Uh, whatever the spending on police, and I know there's 50,000 more police officers yeah. on the street, I'm all for that. Yeah. Um, and I would like all those additional police officers, and I would like a similar amount of spending on, you know, implementing mental health and true education mm. of mental health, usage mm. of social media, anything that causes, has, you know, a direct relationship with negative mental health for young children and with adults. I, I, you know, obviously education is the starting point of change. Mm. So in an ideal world, I would like all this spending to be oh, put yeah, on no. all of this. But yeah. this brings me once again yeah. back to the issue of privatization of the NHS, as we were talking before. Mm. It comes down to austerity, cuts, lack of funding mm. and privatization. Yeah. And the people who matter, the people who have kept the country running mm. in the low-skilled, I want to put that in inverted commas, mm. low-skilled jobs, mm. have been the ones who have kept us all going. They mm. have been the foundation of this country to keep on going through this whole pandemic. And mm. yet those who seem to balance themselves on the top of the tower and mm. take all the riches are the ones who are unwilling to put the, this funding into the mm. right places. And I think this is reflected even further um, for those who uh, ha who haven't heard of this, um, this ongoing thing when it comes to Conservatives, especially Boris Johnson and his cabinet, is where they contract governments. Um, we spoke about Brexit, didn't we? You know, ways of funding, you know, ferries or... You know, I think one was a pub landlord who was giving given a medical supply contractors it was contracting mm. his buddy keeping them all rich in the inner circle yeah. and this is probably sounding extremely anti-prof and all that no no i'm not against the ability to help your friend make a bit of money or D don't, let, don't let your employers hear you say that <laughs> <laughs> but I, know, I think i think i uh, I, I i'm standing pretty firmly here is that i'm not against making money i don't think any of us would turn down a good paycheck but this commission yeah, or commission. And, but this is the point, isn't it? You've got people here literally putting their lives on the line. Yeah. Being paid pence compared to the actual work they're doing. Mm. So, and when it, we bring this all back to right to the start to mental health. Yeah. Yes, of course it needs to be funded and it needs to be funded correctly mm. throughout the public sector. Yeah. See, my argument, Adam, it's not not to... I remember when Black Lives Matter was very well. It's still very prominent, but when their group prominent. no, no, I know, but I'm talking about the group now. Prominent. The group, though, the you, you know the organisation Black Lives Matter, not yes, the, yes. not the symbol. The symbol will always be prominent, but there was a point where the group was in its in its at its peak, I guess, uh, towards the. I think it was just 
what was it, August, July, somewhere, somewhere around that time, I can't quite remember. And they were making quite large political statements. And I do remember one of the things that they said was defund the police to make room for mental health. And that got quite a backlash. But when you read what they were saying, they were saying something along the lines of what you were saying and what I was trying to intimate in that it's, I don't believe it's good to acquire 50,000 new police officers just for the on the same sort of basis as doing what all the other police officers do i think you should be acquiring more police officers sure but what about it should be the training yeah different. training the tra yeah, yeah the training i have that's nothing training against there. the police force no that's what I'm, i yeah. like the police force i do i'm trying to that's I mean, what i was yeah trying yeah to that, get and that, no that's exactly yeah. what you're saying johnny yeah and i think this is particularly different when it comes to the uk when we think police we think of you know, people, you know, we were thinking of a force that deals with breaking up drug guns, breaking down, you know, sex trafficking rings, you know, or stopping yeah. you for drink driving. That, 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 that's the function of the police here. I suppose when it comes to Black Lives Matter, yeah. um, when they're talking about defunding police, yeah. they're talking about disarming law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're talking about. And yes, I understand exactly what you're saying, but and I, and I completely understand what you're saying as well, Johnny, when it comes to, is defunding the answer? No. Is restructuring? Yes. Is, it, is a good way of putting it, yeah. It's yeah, a good way yeah. of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, obviously, it's important to make clear here, me and Johnny are just sit, sitting on the fence here, trying to see this from every angle possible because they've been such contentious topics mm. over the last 12 months. I think the point that I think is if you hire the P, if you, if you make, if they get the 50,000 new police officers and they don't, restructure they don't re-educate they don't put plans in place and the money See, and the funding yeah. is there to my point is where's the where's the where where are the jobs for the psychologists where are the jobs for the people who were designed to look after the care more carers more specialized carers who are dealing with traumatized minds where's that exactly. money where does that 50 how that about, how about yeah. Twenty-five thousand police officers, twenty-five thousand of a different sort, of a different kind of of preventer. Because I call what I call it. I call it a preventer because you put fifty thousand people out there, they stop crimes. What about preventing yes. them from even starting in the first place? Exactly, and this is the whole point, isn't it? It's uh, at the moment, it seems that we we live in a very reactive society. Mm -hmm. we're, we're constantly reacting to the yeah. problem. It's like constantly popping uh, a paracetamol to deal with a cold instead of just stopping going near the person who gave you the cold in the first place. Or who said, who said someone gave you the cold? <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, that was a bad analogy. What, Coronavirus! About, <laughs> get your chance. Uh, I, I think the, the, better, the better analogy here is just saying, instead of constantly having a paracetamol to stop yourself having a cold, maybe Have you should go space. outside, <laughs> go outside wearing a coat. Yeah. You know okay. I mean? yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. point. You want to prevent the virus from happening before you have to treat it. Very good. You know what I mean? Okay, we got that. Uh, it's a complete. Yeah. It's a complex. No, you were topic. shouting coronavirus across the all. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Piers Morgan. Um, but yeah, we got there in the end, and it's a, it's. A, I, I think we're both unanimous in that spending needs to be more. How that spending happens is, I suppose, is a, a different it's question. The topic of contention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, back onto America now. Uh, as, as I say, we do have a U.S. partnership, so it's nice to. It's always nice as well to look at the the leaders of the Western world, as many people called them, it's quite a scary prospect at times that under the previous administration. Um, yeah. But but um, now it's slightly less 
um, of a of a sticking point. And Joe Biden's initial reaction, I read quite recently, was he was polling higher than Donald Trump ever polled in America. I think he was in the sixties for positivity yes. and uh, across the you know in terms of people behind him. It's good. Yes, yes. I think he's done an excellent job. To be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but obviously, as somebody who's evidently more left wing than he is right, you know, he went on a frenzy of signing, what was it, 10 executive orders in 48 hours of being mm. in office. Mm. And um, if Trump had done that, I would have been probably sick in my mouth. Yeah. Out of fear. So, you know, and that's a fair point. He scared me, still does. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose I need to recognise that for anyone who's an avid Trump supporter and believes, you know, Biden's the child of the Antichrist and a and a communist leader, then that must be terrifying. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, looking at it from both both but from both narratives, I think it, it can go either way. For me personally, I think well, he's a great job. I tell you what, one thing that he's done, what I've noticed, he's done, uh, which is made a lot of minority groups very happy. And one of the groups that he's been very positive and progressive with his words with is the LGBTQ plus community, which he has been yes. Yes. vehemently yeah. in support of. And it almost looks bad on Britain when we have people and, and many minds over here and many political leaders who seem a bit afraid on certain aspects of that, particularly trans rights, which are much more have come much more prominent in recent years. When you got Joe Biden, leader of America, talking up all of these minority groups in such a positive and and unheard way in many ways, because you could never imagine Donald Trump doing such a thing and and being so welcoming to all these groups. I suppose it went against yes. some of his demographic, but it's great, isn't it, to see someone of his status championing the rights of these minority groups because that's what they need. Yeah. I think it's fantastic, really. Obviously, one of the main, um, you know, one of Trump's attack or one of his fronts of attack was um, against Biden's age. He's seventy-seven. Yeah, you know, he's a man well into his um, into his you know, mature years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, into his yeah you know, into his older yeah, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. But don't you? You can't help but admire a bloke. Mm. Who's seventy-seven? Who's dedicating probably the last decade or two, if he's lucky, mm. of his life to public office mm. to help younger generations? Yeah, he's commuted his entire political career mm. back to Vermont. It was Vermont he's from, isn't it? Yeah, Pretty sure yeah. It's from. yeah. Um, back to Vermont to ensure that his you could see his family and make sure you could see his grandkids and that everyone was. You know, getting support and everything they need. I think he's one hell of a job. I thought for years that he was a bit like dishwater when it came to politics, you know, that mm. he he was neither here nor there. But in recent years, I think he's done an excellent job. I honestly do believe it. Well, it's like we discussed, I think we, we didn't, uh, this was before we were podcasting, but we said, you said he flip flops or he just seems to sort of go with his decision making has yeah. changed a lot since. The 1990s, and there was uh, certain things. Actually, the late 70s, early 80s, he was yeah. quite a controversial figure. Well, he wasn't controversial. He was just, he always seemed to be on the side of what was most profitable, if I can yeah. put it up. Yeah. yeah. Although now, I think it's 
he's been in politics for such a long time. And the question was, is he jumping on bandwagons or is he legitimately approaching the world differently because he's realised and recognised how the world has changed and he's changed with the world? And I, I think, like it's think it's the latter, the, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, I really do. I, I would I would like to believe it's the latter because for once it's nice to put on the news and see American politics in um, such a lighter, more positive, mm. you know what, you know narrative. It's it's, mm. it's easier to watch. Let's be honest. Yes, no, it is. <laughs> you know, it's nothing against Trump, but he could not <laughs> talk in public sensibly to save his life. You know, let's be honest. No. No, but, no, no, completely. Well, that, that's my opinion. No, I don't want that to reflect the podcast's opinion. No, well, I, it, opinion. It, I suppose it can do, really. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but um, I always remember when Trump spoke, it usually ended with some self-aggrandizement of some kind. So if something had yeah. been done, they'd usually say, "And I did this, or I did." That. Uh, I did it a hundred times better, backwards, <laughs> yeah. upside yeah. down, whilst eating an ice cream. Yeah. You know what I mean? One thing that Biden did that was a little bit contentious and did cause a bit of uh, controversy, particularly with the other side, like we probably thought it would, is yes. his decision to uh, bypass uh, and approve uh, the contentious Keystone XL oil pipeline. Yes, so, this has been a massive issue on the news, hasn't it? Yeah, this oh, was a big Trump project. Yeah, so was, Trump yes. was going to put this through. Basically, Keystone XL oil pipeline, pretty much what it what it says on the tin. Big um, use of fossil fuels, very bad towards the environment. Obama, it Obama made a said lot no. of jobs. Yes, yeah. this is the thing. So Barack Obama said no. Donald Trump said yes. And from Trump's perspective and from the people supporting this idea, as Adam just said, a lot of jobs, a lot of people work in this industry. So, again, Trade, employment. Industry, yeah. employment. Eco, local economy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, yeah. It, it it was essentially what you said. Uh, all for the all for economic gain, and a lot of people, particularly during the pandemic, what even even people who aren't necessarily righteous Trump supporters, people who work in this trade, they'll be quite. They could be potentially very upset because it's tough to get a job out there now. The pandemic's still very much in the. We're still very much in the middle of the pandemic. And yeah. it's as admirable as it is. I almost think I remember watching Vladimir 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 Putin interview. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have a, any. Don't necessarily advocate <laughs> everything Vladimir Putin says, but one thing that I thought Vladimir, was interesting. You advocate anything that Vladimir Putin no, but says. one thing. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that he said that was somewhat interesting in response to when Greta Thunberg said it was everyone's responsibility to back climate change. He said, yeah, I respect that point and she's right that we should. But you tell that to third world countries where lots of the population are working class. They work with fossil fuels. They have cars with gasoline in them. And a lot of the things they do for jobs and for livelihoods aren't necessarily good with the environment. He has a well, point. This is a massive issue, like that, and that's not just um, a Putin point. That's a, you know, that, that was a very much a Chinese government point as well. Yeah. Like um, the Chinese Industrial Revolution or the yeah. Asian Industrial Re Revolution, you know, yeah. that happened in India, China, and other smaller, you know, East Asian countries, yeah. is that um, what we went through in the eighteen hundreds uh, as a British Revolution. And I should think a similar sort of 
you know, um, situation happened in America when it came to copper mines, you know, the, the coal run trains, um, coal mines in America, you know, all kinds of, um, you know, sort of heavy CO2 emitting sort of industry jobs. Yeah. Is that we got that all out of the way mm. about 200 years ago, mm. probably near, you know, you know, um, and we know the effects of those industries and what they've had on the climate. Yeah. However, we got to reap the benefits mm. of those um, industries, industries um, before we could make our mind up on the topic. Mm. Now, what countries like China and India and other smaller third world countries across Africa and Asia is that, well, can't we reap the benefits of our industrial mm. revolution mm. before we call it a day? But yeah. now we're saying we haven't got the time. Yeah. So, yeah, but, Putin's right. <laughs> so, but, so there you oh, go. I thought, I, I thought <laughs> I'd never say that. Putin's right. Who are we to tell them? that they can't make a livelihood off gasoline, mm. off fossil fuels, off all sorts of, you know... Well, yeah. yeah, it's interesting yeah. with China as well, because obviously I, I, I work there, I live there, and one of the things they actually do, because you're right, they do have a lot of negatively acting... They obviously act negatively they towards didn't. the environment in a, lot of, in a lot of places, but China also, in Shenzhen, they released... Uh, I think just, just after I, le- uh, I was leaving it was something like 600 and 600,000 electric buses to go around the city so and they're also very hard on not recycling properly in fact fine they're in, they're introducing they're introducing fines across the board if you don't recycle your waste properly so it's a bit of both it's like we're making a lot of money through some of these uh, industries so actually you know, a lot of people benefit from this. We're going to keep with that. But at the same time, we want to, in other ways, improve our carbon footprint. This is quite a controversial statement, and it's just a quick one to finish off this point before we go on to our nice, happy, or slightly emotional uh, story. Is the Green New Deal and the, and the Green plans that many people rightly want to push forward, is it partly... A middle-class vanity project could be. You know, that's one. That, that's a very particular, quite niche lens of looking at it. If I can be completely yeah. honest. Oh no, I, I, I agree yeah. with it. I agree with green it, it, new deals, but I'm just saying. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I could get you. You could argue that there's no reason why they can just skip the industrial revolution and go for a a green revolution straight off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. But once again, that in itself sounds very middle classy when you say it. Yeah. Um, the issue is Beijing at one point was producing as an area, it's producing like something ridiculous. I, I, I can't remember the exact figure. I think it's about 60% yeah. more than the entirety of the USA were in the last few years. A lot. That is a lot. That is an issue. Yeah, that's not just us going. Yeah. Oh, that you, you shouldn't be able to do that, you know, because you you you're causing you're causing CO two emissions. No, that's us saying that's bad. 
because yeah. we, we did bad, but that, that yeah, that's bad. That's bad. You know what I mean? so, that's yeah, bad. In, in, in summary, though, on that, Adam, to be fair, we're happy that Biden's championing the Green New Deal because yes, probably someone had to, yeah. And that is part of the Paris Climate Agreement as well. Yeah, and Very that much. he's championing minority rights and that he seems yes. to have a humbleness um, that maybe wasn't present in other pre- presidential... troll to other presidents in no. the administration. No. <laughs> Very true. Anyway, yeah. I think I think climate change one will be a good one for another episode. Actually, a bigger, more extensive. I think extensive, it would. But, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. But uh, final story, Adam. Uh, we go. For, we've gone. Last week we went for a slightly more a happier story because it's a, again crazy times. I think this is quite a an emotional story as well. Again, taken from the uh, Daily Mirror's weird section, weird news. But uh, other weird news story, sections are available in other outlets. Should always add that. Uh, but this <laughs> one. Mother in tears over daughter's beautiful note to teacher about her lockdown hero. So a mum took to Facebook to share a picture of of the letter of her 12-year-old daughter, of the letter her 12-year-old daughter penned to the person she thought had been a hero during the coronavirus pandemic, and fellow parents are in tears. That's a really, really, really lengthy subheading. I think I could write better than that. Sorry, Paige Holland. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, this is what she said. She said, dear mum, during this awful pandemic, I have truly realised what an amazing mum you are. Not only have you homeschooled three kids since March, you have also took shifts in the hospital. It amazes me how you can work a night shift and then come home and do homeschooling. You haven't just got us through this academic year. You have also made it fun and enjoyable. You constantly do things, fun things with us, such as movie nights, baking, quizzes, game nights, and so much more. I feel like I can talk to you about anything and you'll understand. You are one of the most kind and loving people I know. Before lockdown, I didn't realise how much I appreciate you. I love you so much and couldn't ask for a better mum. That's quite, that's quite heartwarming, that isn't it? No, that's quite wholesome, actually. You know, I, was, I was getting a bit emotional yeah. there. And yeah, you know what? Was, it, I, it's been a long day. That's that, that's pretty near the north. It's me sad. Been awake and, for and, 14 and, hours. And it also made me feel... Also, hours, that letter almost... Um, you know, it makes me makes me feel sad, and, and I can say now, sorry, Paige Holland, that was a wonderfully written uh, sub. Yeah. sub. Um, but yeah, no, that ends that's <laughs> that that rounds off episode three. Um, yeah, it starts again. We it, it, it's it's always worth noting that while we we do t- try to provide some happiness and some cheer, there's also been, as I say, quite some serious topics there. So um, it's difficult to bring happiness and cheer into a week of news that hasn't been happiness or cheer <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah apart from the vaccine rollout but again i think it's just a nice nice way to end would be to say yeah uh just to reinforce our message um uh, of goodwill and sincerity to uh so captain tom moore lived a wonderful life and his family and he's his family, a remarkable yeah. bloke yeah be proud um, of him yeah and yeah. good luck to everyone out in covid world I'm sure we'll all be reunited in the pub before long because me and Johnny definitely will be. <laughs> Fantastic. What a wonderful way to end poetry in motion. Lovely. <laughs>